This week, we'll be continuing our deep dive into cybersecurity aspects. And today, we'll be talking about the whole issue of connecting to third-party applications and what that means from a security perspective and, and everything that goes with that. I'm joined again today with my colleague, Avichai. So Avichai, why don't we start off with a bit of definition? What, what is, how would we define a third-party application? What does that mean exactly? Okay, so any, any type of organization basically um, is dependent on service providers. Uh, service providers could be it could be the the physical hardware that you use in your on your in your company it could be the screens that you use it could be the telephones that you use the cameras it could be also softwares that you consume for hr for domain management for billing finance and there's other applications that you're required as a company in a specific country to use as well such as uh um, the tax uh, bureau uh, uh, software or the, the banks that you're dealing with, mm-hmm. um, any type of uh, third party, maybe let's say a company that you have a cooperation with and you're integrated to their supply chain management. So you would also have to be compliant to that and connected to that. So basically we're talking about anything that needs to be connected with your organization that is not made in-house. Okay. And when we say connected, we're primarily referring to connection to the network in some form, right? So, so there's two elements here. If you have a third party that asks you to install their software in your organization, or you need that software in that case, then even if you don't have network outside, there are implications to that for yourself, for your domain. And there's, on the other hand, there's a setup where you connect from within your domain outside to uh, the third party's infrastructure in a way to get that service from them. Okay. A lot of systems today are primarily browser-based, be it like something like a NetSuite or a Salesforce, or these systems are browser-based and you're just just accessing through the browser. But there are some applications that require you to actually download and install on your computer some software. So there's, there's a distinction between those two, correct? This goes in a little bit into the theory of uh, what is the best practices uh, of development uh, methods. Now, uh, when you develop a product, you need to take in consideration what are the requirements from that product? What is the performance that we expect from that product? And how important is the bandwidth or the transportation of data between one side to another? When you take all of those in consideration, that's the point where you really define and decide what type of language you use, uh, what would be the architecture of the solution that you create. Now, that depends also on the years themselves that you've decided to do that design work. Meaning, if I designed the product in the mid-90s versus someone that designed the product in 2000 and uh, whatever, the, the, the whole design, even if it would be the same product, the whole design could be different. Right. Because the, the different, let's say, the movement of specific technologies, the growth of specific technologies, the understanding of specific technologies, those are the things that really uh, give us assurance about how do we design the right product in the best way. We could also say that special, especially since, let's say, years 2000, you could see that the cyber or the, the data security element is key as well when you consider how to design a product. So, so that definitely 
uh, makes changes to the best practices for architecture and design, such as you see today, for example, the, the products that you said, Salesforce, Zero, or, or any other third party that, that, uh, that you connect to. And what they do, the way they, they designed it is in a way that, yeah, we establish a connection with our client, with the third party, but that connection is very secure. And the access to my database or my backend services or my real code, my real software would be only managed under my network. So that's pretty much the setups that we see today. Mm -hmm. So basically you're saying that there, um, from a development perspective, there are different things taken into consideration here. And if something's poorly developed, then it might have implications. And if something's developed with um, security in mind, then that's going to be a better application. So what, what are the challenges here that, that you have identified? And by the way, that, uh, I just want to add to what you just said here is, is that it's also a, a risk on how they, the future of development of a product is also part of a, a key, let's say, consideration that we need to take when we, when we look at these uh, softwares. Mm. Uh, because if, if a company is not building on top of it, if a company doesn't have the right development forces in their, in their organization, it would be very hard to develop themselves and evolve in the pace that the world is, uh, is evolving as well. Okay. We had this case here in China recently. I've, I've, we read about a company called Trustwave have identified one of the, with one of their customers a type of malware that was embedded in the golden tax system here in China. And for those that don't know, if you're operating in China, in order to issue the, the state sort of invoices, you have to have a connection to the national tax system. And to do this, you have to download a software onto, your, onto, your, onto a computer to issue these invoices. And it was in this software that there was found some malware that was communicating back to the company that, was, that developed the software. That's a clear issue, right? So, so yeah, this is something that uh, could happen with any, with any software. Let's first put that on the table. And, and everybody needs to uh, understand that it's all about analyzing the risks. Now, when we talk about uh, attack software and this situation that we, that we discovered that happened, uh, it's very, let's say any company that needs to work in this country has to, has to, be, has to use this software. Right. There's no choice. Right? So they have no choice. So you're pretty much in kind of a situation where it doesn't matter what considerations or measurements you have, it's still not good enough. You have to put that, uh, you have to consume and use that software. Right. The same so, goes, by the way, the same goes for the banks. Right? Which you're doing online banking in China, there's, there are, they are actually downloading software into your computer as well. So if, you, if you're able to generalize that, we could see that there are a few different services that we consume as a, it's mandatory for us to continue and be existed as a company in the specific country. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about how to uh, eliminate such kinds of threats, and, and let's, let's talk about that for a bit and understand what, what, is, that, what is that malware that, that has been found. So basically, um, when you install a software, you have different uh, components that are added up into the buildup of that software. Each component has their own responsibility, let's say, on the software level. Now, the way to express in an operating system 
those responsibilities is by something that's called services and processes and windows specifically also Linux, but let's talk about the windows where people maybe uh, are more familiar. So we have services where that's the, um, maybe let's say the component itself and the process is what's running right now on your computer to, to create that iteration, to, to set that command, to give, to execute something. When we install a software, it sets up those services and processes. What we need to pay attention to is what's happening there. Now, what, what we saw in the golden text is that there's a process that runs on your computer that has a general name, for example, like, uh, like there's some processes that are very general that everybody sees. If you open the process bar, you would see like SV host, for example, that's SVC host, one of the most famous processors, but nobody knows what it really does. It's part of the operating system. So imagine that golden tax came and created a software, had a service. Under that service, there's processes that run in a very general name that nobody knows about. And what happens is that that process's role is not to be part of the software itself, but to send a heartbeat, let's say, to a destination, back to wherever it came from. Now that heartbeat creates a connection. That connection, it's exploit where any hacker or malicious type of organization could take advantage of that. Right. So, hold on. Did you did you use the term heartbeat? Yeah. So heartbeat is like um, let's say a checkup. For example, that's the like, phrase like a ping, of like a, a ping, like like to ping exactly, out. Exactly, like a ping. A heartbeat is meaning it's alive, connection alive. The feed is uh, is open, and, uh, okay. and I'm ready to do whatever I want. Now, as we as we go through this this issue here, just want to make sure our listeners understand we we don't. We're not saying that what was found on the golden tax uh, software is malicious in any way. It could just be poor coding too. It could be other reasons. And it's not the tax authorities that have provided the software. It's a third party uh, company. But in terms of understanding the issue and protecting yourself, it's still, it's still the same. So we're just using this as an example. Yeah, so, that, so that's a great point. I want to add to that, that there, there could be another situation where we're not even talking about malware that's supposed to be used for, let's say, spying or something like that or gathering information. But there's also the, the aspect of denial of service, right? If you have basically these kinds of services that are, um, let's say, not mandatory for the software itself, they could be used to overload your CPU on the computer that you're running right now and basically create this denial of service type of uh, situation where I can't work. Mm -hmm. Now, if that denial of service would be strong enough, it could also breach into the network and just overload the whole bandwidth that the company has. And then there's no communication between different components. It could also, uh, by the way, is it true that I'm assuming that hackers can also, even though th this specific issue is not malicious in nature from the company, but a, a potential hacker can take advantage of this still. Yeah, and that, that's, that's weaknesses. Basically, if a software developer created a product with problems with the code, with efficiency on the code, or with, um, let's say, specific uh, components that have a leak and, and aren't set up properly, those are the weaknesses that hackers try to uh, take advantage of. So if we're talking about like, situations like what we mentioned right now, what are the things that we could pay attention to when we set up or when we buy any type of product. So I would say that the, 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 there's a few guidelines that you need to check 
and you always need to put in front of you this is the this is the this is the mantra that we're going to go over every every uh, podcast or webinar that we do it's about defining your threat it's all about understanding what are you trying to protect from because there's no such thing as being 100% protected now when we set up uh, some kind of solution product or anything uh, into our organization uh, we want to understand that the protocols are, are using the most encrypted, st high standard protocols that also don't have any interference to performance. In general, when we maintain our environment, we want to pay attention to the hardware level. So it means the hardware itself is the hardware still under support of the vendors, because if not, that means that there's a lot of uh, room for vulnerabilities. And the firmware that that's the operating system of the hardware needs to be up to date all the time. That's, that's very key. Like if you miss out a week updating your hardware, uh, you can find yourself easily hacked. We need to always pay attention to the user authentication, uh, make sure that the passwords are strong, that, that the entrant, entry point is very strong. And what we mentioned before is the all concept of unknown services and protocols and processes that, that are being used from the software. So if there's something like that, we want to be suspicious about it and, and really uh, create some kind of analytics and, uh, and understand, investigate on what's going on in, a, in our environment. How would a regular company know about this? Do they need to install software that monitors the traffic, for example? So it goes back down to um, how big is the threat? Now, there are uh, components that you could install in your environment that help you protect yourself from stuff like this. But there's also a lot of operation procedures that you have here that could, uh, that could help you eliminate these risks that we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if you have someone that looks at, uh, at a SOC at an operating center and checks the firmware level of all your components in your uh, domain, in your network, then that's definitely something that's very high level of protection. So just to make sure we all understand what you just said, if there's a company and they have a SOC, a security operations center, that in addition to the regular security work, what they could also do is have some sort of monitoring of the network on a real-time basis, uh, monitoring the firmware. And if there's anything unusual happening, that there will be some sort of um, alarm type of event. So one is real time, but the other aspect is also to, uh, to be able to identify anomalies in your network. Meaning if now we see that once a day or once a week or once a month, the specific server that has uh, my tax application sends this ping or this connection information at 1 a.m. every month, like in, a, in something that's formatted, structured in a way, that would be suspicious for us. So that ability also to recognize stuff like that in the network is something that you could do by using uh, cyber protected tools. Some so are tools. these off the shelf products that companies can buy? Yeah, so, so you, have, you have off the shelf uh, products. You definitely need to create your own uh, policies as well, but pretty much you have, uh, you have off the shelf and there's integrators that also assist a lot with that. Okay, so a company out there that if you have a security operations center, you can possibly upgrade it to include such monitoring as well in case you don't have a dedicated cyber team that's monitoring this. Yeah, and I think that, that that would be pretty easy to upgrade an SOC to be more cyber aware. Okay. In the end of the day, you, you just need to look at it in the right way 
and build up your policy properly. So what else can a company do, say a midsize or even a larger or, or even a small company? What, what can they possibly do to, in terms of best practices, not only to be aware of this, but to possibly add in a bit some, some protection as well? So if we take um, the current technology where uh, we use, for example, virtualization. So we take one uh, physical appliance, a server, and we virtualize on top of it. We create a hypervisor and we virtualize on top of it virtual machine. So that whole hypervisor layer, that layer of operating system, is the layer that we could take advantage of and create security setups that would differentiate between different components in my network in a way that's much more strict and narrowed down to the specifics of what you need regarding communication versus using a uh, more... Uh, hardware appliance such as switches, routers, and um, classic traditional old school way, let's say, of uh, networking. Okay. So again, just, just so we make sure I understand you, what you're saying is that you can take a server and set up a virtual server within that server and in some degree isolate it or control that communication in a way that reduces your risk. Exactly. So I'm able to create on the network level for any, uh, in my domain in general, right? It doesn't have to be specifically on that, that, uh, that appliance. Like we could have three different servers that are connected in between them on the physical layer, but on the virtual layer, we would create a separation between the virtual machines. Like they're in totally different networks. Uh, and that is something that, um, is protective in, in a good way. There are companies that are stronger in that. Some others are less. And for a hacker, for example, it just makes it so much harder. It makes their life so much harder where they have to create access. If they come from the hardware level, then they need to create access to the virtual level. Or if they come from the virtual side, meaning accessing through the application, to be able to get to my domain, to my entire network, they need to go to the physical layer. And that movement from physical to virtual is very, very hard for hacking. Okay. So that's one point. So, about so again, so if we, if, we, if we use more layman's terms for this, so if I need to install a specialized tax software on, on a computer, on a machine, then I should probably do that on a virtual server as opposed to an actual server and create some protection around that virtual server in a way that would limit its communication. Right. So that's one way to do that. Okay. That's one way. The other way that we could really uh, do that is by using uh, specific technologies for that. I could say that I, I have experience with, uh, with companies that, um, that would say, okay, I want to set up a network that is dedicated for communicating with these third parties that I have to communicate with. So that would be a network area that is a bit more risky than so my entire domain. Off? So you're fencing off a portion of the network for this purpose. Exactly. Now, in that fence, in that network area, in that segment, basically we create rules that help us maintain the security of the entire organization. For example, on virtualization, there's something that's called snapshots. So what, I, what I'm able to do is I'm able to take a picture, literally, of the current situation of my computer or my virtual server. And once I start working, what happens is, is there's the diff, the differences between that point that I took that picture, that image, to the point that I am right now. 
Now, whenever I want, by just clicking one click, I'm able to revert back to that point. So what happens on the virtualization side, where that might be a little bit uh, more complicated to take a grasp of, but uh, virtualization is basically made out of files. So what happens is once I decide to take that snapshot, that point in time, I create another file and that file is saving all the differences that I've done in that server. And once I want to revert back in, it will delete that file. Now, that means that if I've been exposed from the time that my computer, my virtual machine was 100% pure and clean and new to the point that I finished my workday, I could revert back to that point. On the physical uh, computers, let's say, there are solutions on the operating system of creating like a non-persistent computer, meaning each time that I restart my computer, what happens is all the cache is being cleared, all the information that I saved is being cleared, and I start the computer in the first stage that it was. So basically that means that if something was installed, are there some sort of communication, something was installed on the server during a period of time, once this happens, it goes back and to, its, to its exactly. original form. Exactly. So, but that, so that doesn't help you if it's sending information out, though. So to a point, it does. Yeah, now, okay. why? Because, because to be able to send, inf if I'm a hacker, right, and I wrote this malicious code that is supposed to send to me all your contact lists, I need to know when I do that exactly. I can't just do that. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to gain control of your network and just play. Now I'm hacking and I'm in and I'm taking information as much as I want whenever I want. I create windows. During those windows, that's the point in time where I'm taking that data. Now, there's a trigger for that window to be created. It could be me initiating that, but it could be you initiating that as well. So by you doing something on, on that software, by you clicking, taking action, you're basically also uh, waking up the code the malicious code and telling it start communicate with the hacker with its home so that's why when you revert back to a specific version basically you find yourself in a more secure situation and the other point for that is is that you don't want the hacker to get access to other components in your environment so if let's say we have that server that is for a specific job for example tax issuing then if let's say the hacker gained control on that server, so he has the all my information about tax issuing, but I don't want him to get my HR information. So that's how I prevent him from skipping. That's called skipping from one network to another or from one server to another. Mm -hmm. I prevent it from him by taking back control and reverting back to the first step. Okay. So, so that's a little, let's say, uh, more complex. And uh, us as Blue Ocean, we are uh, available and capable of setting up these kinds of setups. But just to, for everyone to have in mind a little bit about how creative you could be to try and uh, you need to have a strong understanding of network concepts, understanding of the network layers. Because the hacker, the enemy in this case for you, your enemy, is someone that does have that understanding. And that's what they do to take advantage of what's going on. So you need to be uh, aware of that and you need to have the right people around you to really emphasize and put your efforts on managing the right risks because you could be managing risks that don't really exist right now. That would be the, the overall conclusion in my point of view. Okay. So basically to recap here, there are several times where we need to connect to external or third-party applications. 
And if these applications are installing, or if you need to install software on your computer in any way, you want to be aware of how you can possibly limit or mitigate that risk as much as possible. So it's not just about trusting that third party, but it's best on being proactive and fencing that area off or taking some precautions so that other things cannot happen either directly or indirectly from another sort of somebody taking advantage of that process. Um, In terms of security systems, it's specifically like access control or video or anything. Is there anything here that, that we need to touch on? So we've been talking about this uh, many times and we've been, uh, we've been talking about this also with our clients and creating um, the more awareness of how security is a key component to gain access into your network. And uh, you need to make sure that the edge, the cameras, the, the access, they're all uh, secure and protected and no default passwords. And basically, uh, I know that the big vendors, also the small ones, it, as long as there's a specific standard such as OnVIF, and sort of, uh, and others that they're communicating in a, in the secure way. But definitely, you need to be you need to be always looking into it. It's not a it's not like one setup and you're done and you're protected. You always need to be reviewing it, and uh, someone needs to look over it. It's a whole a whole new business. Okay, so there you go. If you do not have dedicated cyber professionals in your organization, reach out to a company that can uh, possibly help you with that. And for security professionals, even if you're primarily focused around physical security, it's good to understand these issues and to be mindful and to be part of the solution and not just let others deal with it. I think to add another interesting point here is something that happened also in the last two weeks, things that have been happening is that um, Twitter has been act and uh, Garmin, the, the sports watch, a very famous company has been hacked mm-hmm. as well. Two different types of hacks. One was uh, for Twitter, it was hacking into profiles and, and pretending to be those people. Mm-hmm. And, for Gar- and for Garmin, it was literally a ransomware, a ran- ransomware situation where in the end of the day, Garmin paid the money to get back their data and to get back their control on their servers. Mm-hmm. So I could say even big companies um, that have the highest standards that are using everything complied especially if, if they're uh, on the stock market, so they have even more higher standards. There's no way around. There's, there's always a risk. There will always be a risk. So going back to our mantra, what are we protecting ourselves from? How much are we concerned from that? And be, starting the whole cybersecurity policy from that point of view. Okay. Well, there you have it. If you're interested in learning more about this, you can feel free to reach out to us. And be happy to help. Once again, I'll be high. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll be online possibly very soon to cover other interesting topics. So until then, stay safe.